Luke chapter 24 and verse number 11. Jesus had raised himself from the dead. Those who had came to the tomb had come to the tomb to see what they might see, uh, literally to come and to finish anointing the body of Jesus, do not find what they were looking for. They found something that was very perplexing to them. And yet what they found was not only perplexing, but something that was enlightening to them and also inspiring to them. Let's begin with the 11th verse of Luke, Luke chapter number 24. Luke 24, verse number 11. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering at himself at that which was come to pass. And behold, two of them that went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs, that is about seven miles. They talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they could not recognize him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not thou known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he who should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company amazed us who were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with, who were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even as the women had said, but him they found not. Then said he unto them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village to which they went, and he made us through, and he made as though he would have gone a little farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat eating with them, he took bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he walked with us along the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up in the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done along the way, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. 
But they, ter- they, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, uh, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the eternal word of God. We thank you for the victory that is ours because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you not only for the proof of the resurrection, but we thank you also for the command that you've given to the church to begin in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Thank you, Father, that you've not left us to ourselves to do this in our own power, but you have sent the promise of the Father, and the Holy Spirit empowers every individual Christian and every true church. And, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to the call that you have upon our lives. We pray that you would educate us more on the mission involvement and the education of uh, of how we can be involved. We ask, dear God, that you would not only show us how we can be involved, but then inspire us to do all that we can for the cause of Christ. We pray this morning that should one be in this congregation who never has committed their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that today they will believe upon the one who died for their sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures, that they will find Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior this day. We ask, dear God, that you would uh, also not only save those that are lost, but that you would revive those of us, Lord, who uh, grow cold and calloused in our walk with you. And those who are walking with you in a faithful kind of way, I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us as well, that you would help us, dear Father, to know how we can invest our life in all that we are, that the kingdom of God might be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you've spoken to us already in the worship, in the singing of the hymns and the special songs, the special music from the choir. We know that Jesus is the answer today, and he is the one who commands us to go and to teach and baptize. So help us, dear Father, to be faithful to the call that you've placed upon our lives, and we'll give you praise for all that you do in us today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.
Certainly the women were inspired. They were inspired because they were the first ones to see that Jesus was literally raised from the dead. They had gone to the tomb in order to anoint the body further because they had to cut it short on the time before when they were there. And what they found was not exactly what they were looking for. They were uh, inspired because they eventually met Jesus along the way. He showed himself to them. Peter was inspired when he heard the word that Jesus had been raised from the dead. The Bible says that he got up, he arose, and he began to run. And that John ran alongside him. John was inspired as well. And what they saw was inspiring. What did they see? They saw no one. When they got to the tomb, it was empty. That's the greatest proof that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that it was no longer in the grave. And so they saw absolutely nothing. They marveled at what they had experienced. And our passage today said that Peter went home and he went home wandering. All these things transpired in the early morning up until probably around uh, noontime. And then in Luke 24, verse 34, indicates that later that afternoon, Jesus appeared to Peter himself. The apparent third appearance of Jesus is now our subject as we consider these Emmaus disciples and victory on the road to Emmaus. Uh, why, how did Jesus find them? I began reading at verse number 11 for a particular reason because Jesus found them, uh, first of all, in doubt in verse number 11 and their words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. They found them in doubt. They would not re- believe. They rejected uh, the truth, the evidence that was there, or uh, rather that was not there, that Jesus uh, had raised literally from the dead. Uh, they rejected the truth of what the women had proclaimed. They rejected the truth of what Jesus had already prophesied. And uh, oftentimes we, we say, well, if I were living in the day of Jesus and, and if Jesus were to speak to me, then I would believe. But uh, they did not. Jesus had prophesied to them exactly what was going to happen. He would be handed over to the Gentiles. He would be crucified and he would literally bodily be raised from the dead on the third day. He found them in doubt and he found them in despair. In verse number 12, Peter went home wandering, the Bible says. He was he was frantic. He didn't know what to believe, uh, not knowing uh, what had happened and what, how he should respond to that. So Jesus found them in, de- in doubt and he found them in despair and he found them in desperation. In verse number 21 of our text this morning, uh, their hopes were in Jesus. They thought... You notice in verse number 21 all of the past tense verbs that are used. We had, but but we hoped, past tense, that he had been he who should have redeemed Israel. Uh, we know that they had heard the prophecies of Jesus and the promises of Jesus, but Jesus finds them in doubt and despair, and he finds them in desperation. Uh, these two Emmaus disciples are explaining to Jesus why they're so down in the dumps. And as they walk along the road, going back to their home there uh, in Emmaus, they had lost their hope and they were in desperation. All of those past tense verbs in verse number 21, we were hoping, we thought past tense, it was him who was going to redeem Israel. But... Uh, they gave the, the evidence of why, why they felt that way in verse 21. He's already been dead three days. And, uh, and then he said the women searched, but they could not find Jesus. And Peter and John searched, but they could not find Jesus. And 
They didn't understand that the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus was that the women and Peter and John found nothing when they went to the tomb. And the world today, and even in the church, is saying, I looked for Jesus and I could not find Him. Where is Jesus when you really need Him for something? Well, Jesus is in the same place where He always with He's with His followers. He is among us even this morning. They did not even recognize that it was Jesus when He was walking along with them on the road to Emmaus. In verse number 18, Cleopas, that is one of those Emmaus disciples, thought that he was a, a stranger or a visitor. Are you, are you just a, someone who's passing through? You don't know the news that the one that we placed our hope in is now, uh, his body is missing and, and, uh, we can't even find him. And so he finds them in doubt and he finds them in despair. He finds them in desperation and he finds them in defeat. I've never seen a day when we have so many defeated Christians as we have today. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you ought to be the happiest person in all the world. You have all of this life and the blessings of it and heaven to come. As Dr. Vance Haver used to say, all of this and heaven too. In verse number 20, the chief priests and the rulers delivered him for death. And, and he's defeated. And he was crucified. We, we had hope that he was the one who would be the Redeemer, who would be the Messiah, who was our hope. But I'm telling you this morning, you can't, uh, you can't be defeated and be victorious all at the same time. And the church today is walking around as though we have no hope, as though we have nothing to look forward to, as though we have no marching orders. So we get up out of our beds in the morning and we do the same thing that we did yesterday with no vision and no scope about what God wants to do in our life and in our hearts and in the life of His church. Uh, he found them in all of those kinds of ways. But Jesus is not uh, uh, satisfied in leaving us the way that he finds us. He's always one who lifts us up and encourages us and meets the needs that we have in our life. And he wants to do that for the local church uh, throughout America today and throughout the world as well. I want you to see how he he lifted them. He lifted them in verse number 15 with a walk. That song says, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And the hymn writer, when he wrote those words, he knew of whence he spoke. While they were uh, conversing and while they were distressed and while they were down and out walking along the road, Jesus came alongside of them himself, drew near, the Bible says. He, Jesus himself drew near. And I want you to know that everything changes, doesn't it, when Jesus draws near. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. When you read the Word of God in any situation, regardless of what the emergency was, when Jesus showed up, everything changed. A blind man was made to see when, Je- when Jesus showed up. A lame man was made to walk when Jesus showed up. That doesn't happen when everybody shows up. Even when angels uh, happen to arise on the occasion. But when Jesus shows up, things really do change. Uh, a, a deaf man was made to hear when Jesus showed up. A hungry crowd, we talked about on Sunday, uh, 5,000 plus the women and children. A hungry crowd are fed and made satisfied when Jesus shows up. I don't know why we are so down and out and in despair and in doubt and, and wondering where our help comes from. We have a Savior who's always with us. 
Even an angry sea, you remember, made, was made still when Jesus showed up. He said three words, peace be still. It's the same thing that he speaks to our hearts today in the midst of our trouble, in our sickness, and in our sorrow. When Jesus shows up, he says, peace, be still. And uh, we know that a deaf man was made, uh, dead man, a dead man was made alive when Jesus showed up. That doesn't happen every day to the week. I've always been amazed at the, the fake healers today. I heard about some even this past week when I was away. Uh, a testimony from someone about people that were made sick and it was always a stomach ache that was healed and, and arthritis in their knee that was healed. Well, I want you to know that all of those evidences were shown of the power of the apostles because the Spirit of God was with them. And I haven't seen anybody raised from the dead lately, have you? And yet Jesus did that. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Three words. And if he had not spoke those three words, as some old preacher said one time, if he had not sat, called him by name, Lazarus, come forth, and every dead body uh, in the graveyard would have come out because of the power of Jesus. I'm telling you, things change when Jesus shows up. And these two Emmaus disciples are walking along like many Christians today in doubt and in despair and defeated. And uh, when Jesus shows up, he should bring a, a note of hope in our hearts and lives. A broken heart is healed when Jesus shows up. And that song says, and he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. I don't know what could bring us more hope than that. To know that we actually belong to Him. He lifts us as He lifted them with a walk. And He lifted them with the Word. In verses 27, uh, 25, 26, and 27. Hear those words again in verses 25, 26, and 27. Then Jesus said unto them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Listen, there's one thing that will always lift you up, and that's the word of God. Whenever you are discouraged, whenever you're searching for answers, uh, rather than wringing our hands in doubt and despair, if we would simply take up the Word of God and begin to read the promises that the Lord has for us in His Word. And Jesus made note of this because He began with Moses and the prophets that all of the Bible is a book about Him. From the very first verse in Genesis chapter number 1 to the end of Revelation chapter number 22, the whole Bible is a book about Jesus he lifted them with the word. And first of all, he reprimanded them in verse 25. In verse 25, he said, Oh, foolish ones, literally, literally, oh, fools in the old King James. And you're slow of heart to believe the word of the prophets. The prophets were those who were oral prophets and there were uh, some that were speaking prophets and there were some that were just writing prophets. But whenever they wrote and whenever they spoke, it was the word of the Lord to them. And you have been taught and you have memorized these scriptures from your youth and yet you have refused to comprehend and refused to believe what the prophets have said unto you. And so he reprimanded them. I wonder what Jesus would say this morning 
If he were to walk in the back door and just come right up here to the front, what he would say to you and to me. We're looking for a note of expectation, a note of hope, a, a, a word of encouragement. And Jesus would probably say to you and to me that I have written my word to you in 66 books in the Bible. And every one of those books has a word of hope and a word of encouragement. And how slow we are to receive the truth of what you have taught. How slow we are to believe uh, in the power of the Messiah who has come. The Deliverer. A forgiveness of sin, yes, but more than that. A hope to walk with us in this world. And so he reprimanded them in verse number 25. And then verse number 26, he reminded them. He said, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Uh, it was simply because they did not understand uh, what the Messiah would be and what he would do in his first advent. They were expecting that he would come and set up his kingdom and literally rule and reign uh, over Rome and all of the world and give them victory in that way. And so because they did not understand how the victory was going to come and what the role of the Messiah was, they did not accept Jesus when he came. As the Son of God and as the Savior of the world. And so it, it said it was necessary. You've been told uh, you can't read Isaiah at chapter number 53 without understanding the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Given some uh, 760 years, even before Jesus came into the world, for long, many, many years, he said, the story of the gospel has been given unto you. And it was necessary that the Christ would suffer. Uh, that's what Isaiah chapter 53, actually beginning in the last three verses of chapter 52, and all of chapter number 53 is about the passion of our Lord, the suffering of our Lord. And uh, by the way, to this day, Orthodox Jews, when they have their reading in the synagogues, do not read Isaiah 53 because they don't understand who Isaiah 53 is about. But I tell you this morning, Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So he reminded them that it had been taught to them that the Christ would suffer and that he would give his life a ransom for many. And he would literally uh, bodily raise himself from the dead. So they did not understand the role of the Messiah. They did not accept him. But he's reminding them of the word that they were given. Even as far back as Moses, who records for us the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so he reminded them. And then he rehearsed to them. He began to explain to them the meaning of the scriptures. Man, what a Bible conference that must have been. Amen. You'd like to have been one of those two uh, disciples walking along the Emmaus Road. And all of a sudden, one comes alongside you. Where did he come from? I'm not sure. He must have stepped out of an alley somewhere and walked along with us. And he began to explain to them the things concerning himself in the Scriptures. And it says in verse number 27, and beginning at Moses... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, and you can name them in your own mind. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Every Bible book is a book about Jesus. Every single book, Old Testament alike, is a foreshadow or a type of who Jesus would be as the Messiah, as the Savior. 
uh, as the Son of God when He came into the world. And then, of course, the New Testament is the fulfillment of that. And He began to rehearse the, well, with them uh, the things in the Scriptures, explain to them that it really is uh, all about me. A number of years ago when we had uh, so many liberal churches who uh, did not uh, really believe that uh, Jesus was uh, virgin born and that Jesus lived a sinless life and so many lies been told on Jesus. There's a new movie coming out even now that describes Jesus himself and his followers as homosexuals. I tell you, I believe there's some places in hell that are hotter than others when you teach and share something like that. And he began with Moses and all the prophets. And man, what a Bible conference that must have been. It was a seven-mile journey. We don't know exactly at what point Jesus came alongside them and began to question them and then began to teach them. But uh, seven miles uh, is a pretty good long ways to walk with Jesus along the road. How many things you can learn about uh, our Lord and Savior in seven miles of walking with Him. And how many things you can learn about Jesus in 40 or 50 or 60 years of having your own Bible that you can read and know who He is and know about Him and know who He wants you and me to be. And so He... Uh, he lifted them with a walk and he lifted them with a word and he lifted them with an awareness. All of a sudden they realized who uh, Jesus really was. Uh, in verse 31 and 32, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They were aware that it was Jesus that was with them after he had broke the bread and blessed the bread and so forth. And their eyes were opened. I don't know who they were, some of the disciples that were uh, among them when Jesus fed the 5,000. But you remember, that's what Jesus did. He blessed it, and then he broke it, and he distributed it. And I imagine that now they uh, remember what Jesus had done, and uh, now their eyes are open that this really is Jesus that is standing in front of them. And uh, their response was, after their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. It's amazing about Jesus. It seems like he shows up and he leaves when he gets good and ready. And uh, one of these days he's coming again when he's ready. In verse number 32, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he taught with us along the way and while he opened to us the Scriptures? When he explained to us the Scriptures, Did not our heart seem so warm and filled and full? That's the way the child of God should live every single day when we open up the Word of God and when we seek His face in prayer. And He speaks to us through the Bible. Our heart is warmed and filled and we draw nigh to Him and then He draws nigh to us. And so He found them in doubt and despair and desperation and in defeat. And Jesus came along and lifted them because He walked along with them. And then He gave them the word of God and said, that word was all about me and, and their eyes were opened and they were comforted and lifted up by an awareness that Jesus was alive and that Jesus had fulfilled the promises that he had made, the things that he had prophesied concerning himself as well as those prophets that had prophesied those things. And so in closing this morning, I want you to see how he left them. 
It's how he found them and how he lifted them and now how he left them in verses 33 through 36 in particular. And they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done along the way and how he, Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Jesus uh, uh, shows up again right in the midst of it all. They're giving their testimony that, yes, Cephas did see uh, Jesus alive, raised from the dead. And we saw Jesus alive and raised from the dead. He came along beside of us on this road to Emmaus. It's a road of victory, ladies and gentlemen, to know that our Savior is not dead in a tomb somewhere, but has power over sin, has power over death, has power over the grave, has power over hell itself. Literally, bodily raised himself from the dead. And they began to give that testimony that yes, indeed, Jesus was alive. And Jesus then gave them the peace that they needed in verse number 36. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. The whole gospel is a word of peace. In John chapters 14, 15, and 16, he gives his disciple a word of peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. He has a word of peace for you and me today. Even as he had for the two Emmaus disciples. And for the others who had gathered together in that room. He gave them peace. He said why are you troubled? In verse number 37. And they were terrified and frightened. And supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for spirit hath my flesh and blood, as you see me have. Jesus gives them a proof. He said, Touch me. Handle me. And then Jesus said, Give me something to eat. Not only was he alive and literally bodily raised from the dead, he must have been a Baptist as well. We're always eating when we come together. He said, touch me. You see? See the nail prints in my hands? Touch the scar in my side where they pierced me and the blood and the water flowed out. Uh, You see me. I have a flesh and blood and a body. I'm real. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. And uh, though they questioned within themselves, he finally said, feed me something. And while they yet not believed, verse 41, and while they yet believed not for joy and wandered, he said unto them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I let that sink in as far as you want it to sink in. We have some vegetarians among us that uh, in the world who don't believe in eating meat. And uh, maybe for another reason, but Jesus ate meat. He cooked fish on the fire for his disciples. And uh, now they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb. And he took it and he did eat before them. Right there in their presence, they knew that he was alive, that he was real. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus is still alive. And that Jesus is real. 
And that our hearts can be warmed and filled when we read and spend a walk along the Word with Him. He comes and He speaks to our heart. He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me that I am His own. And He gave them a proclamation in verses 46 and 47. In verses 46 and 47, He said unto them, Thus it is written, that is, it stands, having been written, and it cannot be changed. It stands having been written, it cannot be changed. And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Why? And that repentance and remission, forgiveness of sins, should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And of course we know from Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 that it goes beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. He gave them a proclamation. It stands having been written. This is the purpose of God and the plan of God to reach a whole world with the truth. Uh, Pam was speaking to, to the children this morning and talking about one third of the world who does not know Jesus. They do not know Jesus because they never heard his name. 2.3 billion people in the world have never even heard the name of Jesus. It's why our convention through the International Mission Board has placed this emphasis now for some 10 or 12 years on unreached people groups and unengaged and unreached people groups. People who have never heard the name of Jesus before. Sometimes I wonder, is God's economy uh, and God's plan not better than we're exercising it these days when 90% of the world's preachers are preaching in America where 10% of the world's people live? While the 90% that are out there and need to hear the gospel, 10% of the world's preachers are in all the other countries uh, in the world sharing the gospel. He gave them a proclamation that stands having been written. And the reason is, is that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be preached in all of the world to every single nation on the face of the earth. And then he gave them a promise in verse number 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endured with with power from on high. That was the promise of the Father. And Jesus reminded them of what the promise was. Now I want you to go to Jerusalem and you wait for the power of God to fall in that place. And in the upper room, the power of God did fall. And after the power of God did fall, then came the day of Pentecost, when the one who had denied Jesus three times and now has proclaimed his love for him three different times, stands and preaches on the day of Pentecost to the extent that they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And they said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sin, Acts 2, 38. When they heard the gospel, it was the beginning of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. It was the birth of the early church of which you and I are a part today. And so he gave them that promise and then he gave them that power in verse number 45. He gave them power to live a life of victory, to live a life of hope, to live a life of purpose. My dear Christian friend today... If you've been saved for a pretty good little while, a decade or two or three or four or five or six, it's about time that we realize that 
We were not created in this world and saved by the grace of God and empowered by the Spirit of God just to live our lives according to our own agenda, our own schedule, our own purpose in life. God doesn't have a corner on the tithe of your life, on 10% of it. But when we surrender to Christ, it is our whole life that belongs to Him. It's all that we are. And all that we are has been created for the purpose of bringing glory to God as we share the gospel beginning in our Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and yes, even to the uttermost part of the earth. I encourage you to be here on Tuesday night. Anytime that uh, we uh, take on the subject of missions, then we take on the subject that is the dearest to the heart of God. It's not really something that you add on to the ministry of the church. It's why the church exists to propagate the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we ought to learn all that we can and pray all that we ought and give as much as possible in order that the world be reached with the truth that Jesus saves, that Jesus changes life, and that he gives the gift of everlasting life. Who would not want to know? That story. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privileges that are ours. We thank you, Lord, for the purpose of the church. We thank you, Lord, for saving our soul. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a purpose in this church and a purpose in this life, in this world. And God, we pray today for those 2.3 billion people in the world who have never heard the name Jesus. We pray, Lord, that even as the fields are white on the harvest, And the laborers are few. We pray that you would call forth laborers. Maybe, Lord, even out of this service today, that you would call someone to go to the other side of the world to share the good news of the gospel to people uh, who never have had a word of hope in all of their lives. Many of them are starving physically. And those who have never heard the name of Jesus, all of them are starving spiritually. So, God, I pray that you will call forth laborers into the harvest. Dear God, beginning here in our Jerusalem, we need people who will preach the word of God. And throughout our nation and to the end of the world, God, do your work among us this morning. Draw, call out the call. Send us forth, Lord, with a message of truth. The only hope that there is, not just for America, before a lost and dying world, we pray it and we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation and I'll be here to receive you uh, as you respond this morning. You may just want to come and pray whatever God's laid upon your heart. Let's stand while we sing. The words are on the screen. Lord, I come, I confess. So let's stand while we sing. Please. Thank you for your attendance today and your attention during the message this morning. Thankful for those who have taught faithfully the Word of God. Our prayers are with you as you uh, study throughout the week and present the Word of God that God will continue to use you. Jesus called the twelve unto himself and he sent them out two by two. It's always been his plan to go out and share the gospel. It was no fluke because later on he called the seventy unto himself and he sent them out two by two. Share the truth about who Jesus is and what uh, the gospel contains, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so as you and I go forth, we are part of that crowd. 
in John 20 and verses 20 and 21. Particularly verse 21, Jesus says, The Father hath sent me, so send I you. You're his missionaries as you leave from this place today. Bowing together in prayer, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower the church, that you would use us for your praise and glory. We ask, dear Father, that you would give us open doors, opportunity to share the truth this week. And dear God, that you would make us faithful to obey you. May souls be saved in the kingdom of God, encouraged and strengthened for Jesus' sake. We ask it and pray it. Amen. God bless you. See you on Wednesday night.